0: I am a seltzer guy. Yeah. I, I like
1: d- the cranberry lime Harris Teeter.
0: <laughs> j- Jimbo, what about
2: what about you? I, I, I'm kind of into the Bubblies right now. Have you seen the Bubblies?
0: I have. What what brand is that? Is that. We're, Al- we're,
1: see, we're, we're like the poor folks. <laughs> Store brands and just taking it up. No, n-
0: financially conscientious.
1: <laughs> okay, I like
0: that. Yeah. Right? So j- we were talking about, or the Bubblies. Is that from Aldi or Lidl or Lidl?
2: No, the Aldi. I like the Aldi's brand too. Though. Yeah, that's pretty good.
0: So, um, so discussing risk management in the context of stores, <laughs> I always wonder, what is sacrifice when prices can get that good?
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think? Expiration date? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe.
0: So we, uh, before we press record, everybody in the room here uh, Jimbo Redman, Alex Shaw, Shalomith Gonzalez, um, with our elite companies, we were kind of joking about the, the headphones, the new, we, we got geared up a bit. So now used to be that I just had the headphones and now everybody's got them. And, and, uh, one, I think it's helpful because it locks folks into the conversation. Um, two folks can hear when they're, when they're breathing into the mic, you know, he- heavy breathing. And then, thirdly and maybe most importantly for the past 3 years we've been doing this or so every time i put the headphones on jimbo yells into the mic <laughs> <laughs> and and rattles me and so now he can do you can do that but but now you're going to have to suffer the consequence of of uh, of the scream.
2: Well, I can just already tell that this isn't going to work out for me. <laughs> I'm going to have to get another gig, or I'm going to have to do away with the headphones.
0: No, we're uh, w- what we do need to do is uh, take a picture of you right now and yeah, put it say, on Scott Connect.
1: This would make good selfie material. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. So, uh, well,
2: let's not make. I was so I was listening to a podcast on the way down here, and th- it was 40 minutes long, and they they had a 20 minute. Uh, shoot the bull introduction, <laughs> and I was
0: like, you know what? I enjoy some of that, but they've just gone on too long. So, in other words, get to the good yeah, stuff. get to yeah. the point. Um, uh, so, uh, so yeah, so Shalomith, thank you for having us here in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, at, at, at you guys's office in your in your conference room, your boardroom here in their recording studio, and your recording studio for the day, for the moment. Um, well, thank
1: you for asking.
0: Of course, yeah, we're we're um we're we're looking forward to the conversation. I think just um, having been working with with Ari e. Lee for a little while and you uh, specifically for several years now, it's been it's been a cool journey to to be a small part of and to m- maybe more so observe um, a, a fair degree of transformation over the past few years. And so, um, I wonder if you could speak to what Ari e. Lee does and uh, what, what companies comprise R.E. Lee companies. Um, and then after the kind of introduction into the organization, maybe an introduction into you, or maybe you first in the organization, second, however you want.
1: Sure. So we're, um, actually a fourth generation family owned business. We're getting ready to mark our 80th year for R.E. Lee and son. And so our structure is we are six subsidiary subcontracting companies uh, that operate under the parent company, R.E. Lee Companies. So we have a general contracting division, a concrete division, a plaster and drywall division, a waterproofing company, a facilities management company, and a development group. And so we, right now, we're about 135 employees. And we um, I think the model kind of developed several years ago when, um, as a general contractor, there was the need to start self-performing, and so that's kind of how some of these other (coughs) contractors, uh, companies were formed. Hmm. And um, so I came to the company um, a few years ago as safety manager, and my background was that I had been in construction for um, 12 or 13 years and I um, actually grew up around construction. So I have uncles that were carpenters by trade. Um, my father was um, started out in the field as a plumber and then um, came into a, com- a mechanical contracting company in the office and spent a number of years as estimator and decades as president of that company. So I was exposed to that world for a long time. And um, I filled various roles in my previous company there. Um, but the longest time I spent was in safety.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so I, we just recorded a podcast with a, a gentleman, uh, Renee Veyu, who's the head of HR over at a, a, another client of ours, Maharan Agriculture, and he shared something that I thought, we, we didn't really touch on much in the conversation, but he shared that his background was largely um, or to a, a, a fair degree in operations and kind of up and down and throughout side-to-side the organization I think that's a really, I mean, the, the position you just laid out of having a front row seat to operations, to uh, upper level management and leadership, and then work in the field alongside your work as, with, with a background in safety. I think that kind of holistic 300, 360 degree view, if you will, um, really, I would imagine, helps you understand all of the forces of culture within Lee, in, in this case, um, to help guide your decision-making and your priorities and, and your efforts. Is yeah, that fair?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I would say that probably my philosophy on safety did not develop so much strategically as organically, which I think, oddly enough, maybe that's not as well planned out as some people approach it, but it works. Um Having grown up around some of the individuals that I was then tasked with, making sure they were working safely, really lent itself well to um, making sure that their well-being was at the forefront. It wasn't so much about just policy and procedure. So, you know, a few years back, um, I'd say maybe 10 or 15 years ago in this area, is when a lot of the bigger companies, construction management companies, general contractors really started focusing on subs and requiring them to have a fully fleshed out safety program that was equal to theirs or, you know, developed, fully developed. And so a lot of the medium to small contractors then were all of a sudden scrambling to put together those programs. And that was about the time I was asked to do to take care of that for our company frankly because I think nobody else really wanted to take (laughs) that on but it really did seem to me (laughs) no one was really yeah first to step up to that but um, I, I didn't really mind it because it really did feel like that's what I was being asked to do not just look good on paper and not just comply with this rule but could we really keep our folks safe and and the other piece to this that I will be forever grateful to those employees for is not having worked with my tools before, I had to utilize them a lot as a resource. Um, I, I partnered with a gentleman named Roger Bryant, who anyone in safety in this area will recognize. He, he was a, a, a wonderful mentor. And um, had a lot of knowledge, and so um, we hired him on as a consultant. So he did a lot of my training and helping me to write procedures. But it was the guys in the field who were willing to talk to me about the real issues they were facing in the field and what was their ideas on how safety should work that I really feel like that was my training ground, and and that was the, I'm still grateful to those folks for doing that.
2: What I like about that is is I, li- I like the organic more than strategic and. Um, not not to suggest that that people don't need to be strategic in risk management and safety. They do. The problem is is there's just so much bad strategy out there relative to how people approach it. And so really making it sort of a grassroots, organic, connect with the employees, use them as the experts is such a refreshing sort of approach and one that that I think we want to see more of.
0: Yeah, it is it's funny that you that's what you took out of that because I I appreciated it it wasn't necessarily where I focused but now that you say that w- when we look at when I think of the landscape of of organizations we work with there does seem to be you know we've talked about this before there's a lot of ways to run a business and 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 the folks we're working with you know are largely very successful and so a lot of different ways so maybe not one way is better or worse but what I what I often see is there are some organizations, I, I say a lot, that one of my biggest challenges is working with people who are too smart for their own good. And so, and so you, you attempt to engineer the system or the plan or the program in advance of implementation. And what we know about implementation is, is there are just so many, that's why there's beta testing, right? Actually, it's a good corollary. In software techni- in software integration or, t- or up start- startups, it's, they do a ton of beta testing. Because they know that no matter how polished your program is, once you put it on the table right. to begin, you're going to come up. There's going to be a bunch of bugs and issues and, and challenges that you can't anticipate. The sum yeah. of human behavior. Yeah, that's right. You can't anticipate <laughs> yeah. the sum of all human behavior. And so, it, with that story, um, you just why don't you share that that uh, that story? Well, I, you might have to share the story.
2: <laughs> I just think that, um, like anything else, we you know, a little bit to this point, we sort of engineer things and, uh, they sound great in the laboratory, in the boardroom or in the office. And when we try and transpose that onto the real world, it just, it just doesn't work out. Um,
0: yeah. is it the, it was a football coach that you guys had come. Speak oh, you. You, oh, can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't manage the sum of all human yeah, behavior. So, yeah. So,
2: so that, that was a, that was a football coach who was talking about what they do, uh, when they bring new, new players in every year and they, and they, they sit them down and they say, okay, so just, just so y'all know, um, you know, no drinking, you know, no drugs, no, no fighting, no, no this, no that. And, and so we go through the laundry list of, you know, every kind of foreseeable infraction that a (laughs) first year college football player can get into. Just don't do that. Yeah. Just don't do that. And so, you know, and we've grown the list over time and, you know, so we, we're feeling pretty good about it. Three days later, there's an article in the paper about forgery.
1: Yeah. Oh, we missed that one, right?
0: <laughs> we, yeah. forgo- we, we forgot the forgery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think his message there was you, you can't manage the sum of all human behavior, but what you can do is instill in people values and, and direction so that when they encounter any given situation, they've they're anchored in something to help guide their decision-making process. And so... We, I think there are a lot of corollaries when you think about safety manuals. Some I've seen are three pages long. Some I've seen are 240 pages long. Mm-hmm. And those 240 pages long handbooks came out of add one more thing, add one more thing. And and what you've got there is essentially it makes you feel good, but maybe in... Right. In implementation or execution, it probably falls pretty darn short. And right. a
2: bit of a benchmark would be just think about any sort of consumer product you buy and how many times do you actually read the instruction booklet that, that may be three, five, seven pages yeah. before you start using it? Almost never. <laughs> right.
1: So that's part of what I appreciated about coming into this culture here is that, um, you know, it's Historically, safety and operations tend to have a little bit of friction, and you know, probably you need to have a little bit of that there. But um, in order to really run with my approach to safety, it was really necessary to have full buy in at a leadership level, because what we're talking about sometimes makes some people uncomfortable when it comes to safety. Like if they let go of those rules and the procedures and the documentation and all those things that give us the false sense of, oh, we're doing really good as long as we have our ocean numbers right. And, you know, we're tracking our data and everything. It's really hard sometimes for people to let go of that, because honestly, I feel like a lot of times safety is more about very intangible things. It's more about a feel (laughs) and um, it's more about um, sort of things that you can't necessarily throw up on a spreadsheet or track with metrics. So that's one thing I appreciated about coming in here. Um, there wasn't uh, that we had had a number of years without an official safety person. Um, with that role or title, they have been functioning here with the safety committee, which did an excellent job of managing things um, and keeping the company uh, on track. But being able to come in and kind of develop things as I saw fit or as I saw needs and and being able to just run with that was really empowering and it's been a wonderful experience for me here. And so as you know, Arlene, as our CEO, feels really passionately about that, and I've never worked for uh, someone before who is so fully on board with this approach to safety. Um, And so that's been a great experience since coming here.
2: Yeah, well, the two two takeaways for me from that, um, which – which are just great one is is that um, you got to get a bit awkward to make this work. Um, so it does have to be uncomfortable at times. there does have to be some healthy friction if you will. And then uh, I think secondarily from that um, see these headphones maybe you lost my <laughs> 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 um, lose my thought Oh was was the measurement piece which is, finding ways other than sort of the traditional uh, numbers to evaluate and measure performance. And and sometimes it, those are more subjective. And, and so I think that's, that's an uncomfort in and of itself for a lot of people to sort of get out of, you know, what's our experience mod? What's our loss yes. ratio? What's yes. our, um, you know, recordable rate? And finding other ways to... Um, Sort of metric, your uh, risk management and safety efforts are just, I think, uh, just a good challenge for listeners out there in listening land.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's something. I mean, it's something we started to say a, a little bit a few years ago. But culture first, and safety, and intentional byproduct, and I think that holds weight. You know, it um, it, it reminds me of of uh, I gave a talk a few years ago and and they wanted me to talk about safety culture, and and so I kind of opened it up with a little joke, and it was a, around the idea of, you know, putting a safety culture in front of culture is to some degree cultural appropriation because <laughs> it's, and, it, and another corollary there is it's like being in a relationship in high school and it's not going that well, and you go, you know what, we'll make this better. I think we should get married, married. and it'll fix things. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and so to me, it's like focus on, the foundational elements of your culture and when we talk about measurement one of the metrics that i tend to look at relatively closely is percent of attorney involvement in your claims so if you've got 5% of your claims with attorney involvement that's probably not a bad that's probably not a bad baseline relatively speaking right if you've got um, when i look at just so you know when i look across the spectrum oftentimes it's between 10 14% but if it's over 50% which we've seen, there's a disconnect between what leadership thinks the culture is and what your culture actually is. Right. I mean, think about all of the items that would have to be wrong going poorly or mm-hmm. a, a little bit of an area of crisis or struggle for you to have half of your employees who have a an injury or a claim, rather, um, to go directly to an attorney and, and lawyer up. Right. I mean...
1: So th- that makes me think about when you think about, well, I, I listened to um, the podcast um, with Todd Conklin, you know, with you. I'm a little bit of a geek that way. And so I, I really, I really we enjoy it. Like, we're <laughs> geeky listener. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I get all, you know, inspired every time I listen to something like that. But talking about, I think he was mentioning something about reframing, you know, this idea that every time you have an incident or accident, that's a failure. Mm. But what is it really and be more realistic about that. So in my mind two of our biggest successes recently, you know, from a you know, sort of a technical safety perspective, it might not make sense to see it as a as a success, but I had shared with you recently about the near miss we'd had um, or or safety infraction at a at a, one of our sites for our as a subcontractor where someone was observed not wearing fall protection and so you know they'd written up a report about it and you know requested that we have a safety stand down and all that and you know in that meeting what i saw was this sub- this opportunity because the guys were all so discouraged about that to say this is not who we are if we walk away from this event all of a sudden feeling like we are our mistakes that's that's not who we are and part of the training that we did was showing some pictures of these huge projects we'd complete completed successfully with no serious incidents which by comparison were not technically as difficult and as high risk you know perception wise um, without incident and now we came to this sort of smaller job and and had this incident happen and that doesn't mean that's who we are and we're not our failures and in that meeting the superintendent stood up and was teary and was saying he wanted to take full responsibility, that it was a mistake, and he knew he could do better, and he was going to do better, and he he was going to make the right decisions going forward. See, that's a that's a success to me, because that was someone who saw that leadership means accepting when you've made a mistake and being willing to go forward. And then the other thought that comes to my mind after you just shared there about um, the idea of litigation and being involved with an incident is we, we had someone who... Uh, broke a bone, mm-hmm. and um, wow. he, uh, you know, we we right away connected with the folks at CRS, and we identified a specialist for him to see. Here, um, he's successfully back to full duty, and he made the comment that he's never met such great doctors in his life. He's been mm-hmm. so impressed with the care that he's been given and how attentive they were. We took him to every appointment. We've made sure he got his physical therapy. So you know from an OSHA perspective we have a recordable is that a success no but I mean he's walking away from this feeling like his company cares about him he was given excellent medical care he trusted his medical provider so that's that's kind of a win yeah
2: so I think that sort of describes um, a lot of the pieces of a culture that that are bigger than uh, any safety program which is it's not it's not just what you put into prevention it's it's what you put into, how you respond when maybe something's not going the right way, how you respond when you have a failure, uh, if you want to call it that, or an incident, and how you treat that employee, you know, without blame and with respect. And, and all of that sort of breeds that culture of care and concern and compassion, which gives back to the organization in, in goodwill
0: and yeah. And it sets up your capacity as an organization to to learn more from your mistakes um, or, or more from incidents than otherwise you may be able to. I mean, for somebody to step up in a meeting like that and feel comfortable enough with the organization they work in to say, hey, this is on me, that says the not so subtle message there is, hey, I trust that, I trust in the leadership team enough and I trust in the culture that we've got here enough to to know that I can stand up and take responsibility and then I'm not going to be just fired on mm-hmm. the spot, right? right. And, and so to me, what what a great, well, I mean, so maybe we can parlay that into your experience now with um, the whole journey you've had here with near-miss reporting and, mm-hmm. and a little bit of the challenges initially and now where we are today. And as everybody listens, just keep that backdrop and keep that, keep that what we've just been talking about in the backdrop regarding having that culture that allows these types of conversations to take place, that that takes incidents and mistakes and to a certain degree celebrates the successes within those um, while acknowledging the areas where we can improve. So a little bit on the near misses and and close calls you guys have worked towards reporting.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, full credit to you guys for organizing the event last uh, fall with uh, Chad Heimus, and in in his um, this is kind of what sparked for me, what helped. Um, start this movement here in our office where he showed the video of the um, guy that gets up and starts dancing in a crazy way in front of this whole crowd of people and first he's the only one up there getting awkward and looking weird but then gradually you see another person joining in and another person and so the thought was we have to be willing sometimes to be that person that gets uncomfortable first and also then when others join in we have to give them credit for that not trying to take all the credit ourselves and be like, oh, I was the first or whatever. So um, I shared a near miss that I'd had. In traffic, and let me tell you, it is really hard for a safety manager to be vulnerable in that way because you think, "Oh, is this gonna make me look less credible in my job?" But it had everything to do with distracted driving. So I wasn't texting or doing any of the big no-nos. I was simply sitting at a traffic light, and this was um, in the wee hours of the morning on my way to work. So it was dark, and we were—I was sitting in a five lanes of traffic. And I was probably thinking about something my teenagers had done to frustrate <laughs> me or my to-do list. I don't know. But I was just mentally Those distracted. are long
2: lists. of teenagers.
1: Yes. Right? I mean, any <laughs> moment of the day, you never know what crisis is going to break out. You might be in the situation room having to work out. So I was probably... I was just lost in thought. And um, the light turned green for the, the lane beside me. And, you know, my being lost in thought instinct saw the light change took my foot off the brake and started to accelerate and caught myself for fortunately before I got out into this really busy intersection and it was scary and I thought I should really share this <laughs> and so I um I shared it in a company-wide email and um like I said, that was difficult and uncomfortable and I wasn't really sure where it would go. But um, within the next couple of days, there was a superintendent that shared a traffic near miss and then we had a president share um, two eye injuries he'd had in his personal um, time pursuing a hobby that he has. And so he used that as a way to say, you know, PPE, I should be wearing it on my free time, not only at work. So think about what you guys do. Um, And so then from there, I started doing not just those shares, but also the good things that I was starting to hear. Um, and I would call them safety shout outs and they go out to the entire office. And so um, we had, and and the example I was giving you of the um, fall protection violation that we'd had, I also shared about that meeting and specifically named the superintendent and gave him full credit for you know, having taken responsibility. So it was framing these things that in the past we might've thought of as you know, I'm going to get in trouble. These are failures. I messed up. I want to hide this. I want to talk about it. But it was putting it in the context of we're human and we all make mistakes. And when we're lucky enough to walk away from a mistake without injury um, or real damage, that's an opportunity that we're being given there to really see how we can prevent something from happening. And Then it also grew into people um, sharing ideas. So I had a team come to me who um, performs a a weekly job um, involving um, a truck, one of our trucks. And they were having to climb up on the side of the truck to do certain things. And they said, you know, to us, this is going to be a slip and fall you know, waiting to happen. So what can we do about this? So we sat down and talked about, could we weld a platform on, which seemed a little risky to me. So instead we got a cover that, you know, you can roll back from the ground. um, So it'll, it'll enable them to do what they need to do without having to actually climb up on anything. So all of that came from this communication basically, which is to me, you know, right where it's at for safety is communication both coming from the field and from the office out to the field. And so um, all of that kind of grew out of that. And it, it has been tremendous. I mean, I could go on and on about the cool things that people are sharing now and the ways that we're able to hold up people when they're, you know, highlight when they're doing good things. The it's whole
0: crowd cool. is dancing.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. The whole
0: crowd is dancing. Yeah. So to me, I mean. So the
2: awkward person
0: is the one who's not dancing. <laughs> Oh, that's That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's that's absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. I mean, I think to me, the there's so much beauty to this story, and I think a a big part of that for folks listening is it's like, man, if you don't know about the things that are happening within your organization that you're not hearing about, and so the question is, are you providing an environment that's a conduit for for hearing about? opportunities for improvement. I mean, I've got client, you're familiar with EMC uh, Mm -hmm. mechanical up in Richmond. They've got idea teams now. And so employees are bundled together and, hey, where are opportunities and places we can make improvements? Here's the catch. You've got to fix them. But, you know, you've got to come up with the solutions together as a team. um, And they prioritize them. And it's just, you know, in the absence of that, you often look and you go, what what are organizations that aren't doing these things and don't have this open landscape of communication, um, what are they missing? And, 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 and the way odds play out, chances are they're missing the opportunity to create defenses within the organizations against future accidents, injuries, um, things along those lines. So I do want to, you know, this is incredible to talk through, and I also do want to, uh, maybe hear from your perspective, you know, how long it took you to get to this point. Because it, what I'm thinking about right now is a few young safety directors and managers uh, I'm working with who they're just, I mean, spinning wheels right now on a few fronts. And so to hear this is really encouraging. I think it's also encouraging to hear that it wasn't, it didn't happen overnight. I guess. So what what was it like from the beginning? What are the different things you tried? Um, what was successful, marginally or a lot, and what failed, and how did you get to where you are now with this with this reporting?
1: So it doesn't uh, so it doesn't happen overnight. But I would also say that you might be surprised at how quickly some things can happen, and that's important to know because you don't want to get distur- discouraged. Mm. But um, it is important to when the good things happen really latch onto them quickly and amplify them quickly Um, because sometimes they might seem so small that we don't realize how huge they are and so we're looking for this big jump and we're waiting for it to happen and we might not realize that it's more the little things along the way and if you're kind of tying those all together and really doing the job of amplifying those then it might not take as long as you would think
0: yeah I mean that's perfect Uh I just think if you've, if you've been around me at all or you'll, you'll hear me say, I think the brilliance in life is in the subtleties and in the small things and, and life is a game of inches. And, and so I think we tend to conceptualize these transitions as these monumental moments. But it's probable that more likely, as you say, it's these little incremental steps along the way that at some point you turn around and you go, holy smokes, how did we even get here? which is exciting and also intimidating when you're at the beginning of that.
2: Yeah, well, one brick at a time.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think, too, it's about um, really seeing uh, the individuals you, you work for as human beings and the value they have because everyone is loves being acknowledged for what they're doing, whether it's little or big. And that is, I think, what has really helped this movement is people really like when you notice when they're doing well and when you say something about, you know, we so much energy and time gets spent on the bad things that happen and often not nearly as much over the good things. And the good things are in any organization. I don't care. I I think it would have to be a really bad organization not to be able to find any good things, you (laughs) know, I mean, they're (laughs) out there. But (laughs) And
2: that's, I think you raise a great point, which is uh, if you traditionally look at safety, um, it's, it's it's not about celebrating the good it's about celebrating the bad it's yeah. about the failure it's about the unsafeness
0: yep. or about the ab- or about absence of anything Right, absence of the, the, it, the power of no result, as you like to say.
1: Not a, it's how we're measured, right. actually, when you have to go in for prequels or you have to, you know, what's your EMR, what's your, your record? We're measuring our success by our failures, and that's just not a full picture. That doesn't tell the whole story. It doesn't give the full picture.
2: Yeah, and I wouldn't do this podcast if Alex didn't tell me what a good job I was doing. <laughs>
1: <the time>. Everybody <laughs> needs that, yeah.
0: Well, so I've I've learned a ton um and it's reinforced one of our, during this podcast, and it's reinforced one of our earlier comments about um, trying to over-engineer an initiative or a program uh, as opposed to just going for it. One of the lessons uh, that I I learned today was not the best idea to drink carbonated uh, beverages while you have to have (laughs) a mic close to your mouth, because the mic will spend a lot of time away from your face. So lesson learned there, maybe should have anticipated that, didn't Reminds me of, you know, other lessons you learn, like don't wear a white button down when you're going to eat Italian. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but man, Shalomith, this is uh, this has been great. I mean, really refreshing, a lot of good content that I, I know folks will really lean into and learn from. And, and um, when we think about the whole purpose of this podcast being one that provides a little bit of education, if possible, but more so helps build community and encourages folks, I think you hit all the marks today. So thank you for your time and for sharing so much with us.
2: And thanks for, uh, thanks for listening because I know that uh, one of the motivators to us behind this was in the early days of one of our earlier episodes that I know you had listened to and sent an email to Alex and said, Hey man, I appreciate y'all doing this. And so uh, that's, that's what keeps us going. And if we can energize or um, provide some ideas or, um provide some relief or whatever yeah. whatever that is that's uh, that's really our goal
1: well I was having a bad week that week from uh discouraged by some things and it was listening to is it was it Wes is that his name from Eldon yeah oh El- yeah, Eldon Eldon yeah I mean it really it turned around my whole week I I felt I came away really inspired to just keep working at it and yeah it was great
0: yeah that that's just as Jimbo said that it, it's funny how encouragement is contagious like like yawns. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but well, hey, everybody listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Um, it is creeping up on Memorial Day weekend, so have a, a, a safe weekend. Um, and if you want to talk to Shalomith, feel free to reach out to me, um, ashaw at scottins.com. I'd be happy to, to link you guys if you've got questions or want to hear more. Until next time, thanks. You guys, take care. Thanks for watching. Appreciate Shilomith. it. Have Thank a you. good weekend. Mm-hmm. All right, bye bye. Bye.